Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone or sometimes a couple of someones who are building a more humane world from the inside out. And this week, I have two guests, a husband and wife team, Jerry and Denise Dignan, that's G-E-R-R-Y-D-I-G-N-A-N from Chicago. And instead of having them talk first, I'm going to do a little bit different today. And well, Jerry's a singer and songwriter, and he has an album that I'm just more than fond of called Harvest of Life. Songs of Hope and Celebration. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or look up Harvest of Life. And, and there's a particular song I, I wanted to start with. It's called I Believe in Miracles. Hold on to your steering wheel or uh, actually if you're sitting in a room, just stand up because you're going to stand up in just a minute anyway. Uh, and enjoy and we'll be back to talk to Jerry and Denise in, in, as soon as the song is over. I woke up again today And I started on my way The sun was shining on the land All kinds of people joining hands then I looked up at the sky A thousand birds began to fly In the beating of their wings I heard my mother earth sing Then I came upon a stream The running water's calling me The current carried me away And now I'll never be the same saw a dying old man He was reaching out his hand I looked deep into his eyes And eternity came alive Oh, I believe in miracles I believe in miracles I believe, I believe in miracles in miracles The moon was shining in the night A cloud from heaven floated by A flash of lightning filled the sky Gave me the courage to live and the courage to die I saw a little boy and girl With radiant smiles for the world They sang of beauty in all things their heart song gave me wings Yes, I believe in miracles I believe in miracles I believe, oh, I believe in miracles In miracles I looked out upon the earth Precious place of my birth 
In her presence I was small And I wept at the wonder of it all Where are we from? Where do we go? How do we know when we are home? Is there a chance? Could it be? We are held in a love forever and free Yes, I believe in miracles I believe in miracles I believe, I believe in miracles In miracles I believe the waterfall My wife, Marcia, has joined me as we're getting to talk with Jerry and Denise Dignan from up in Chicago. We're in the Plainfield, Joliet area, the southwest side of Chicago. How do you sometimes get introduced? <laughs> Retired uh, school teacher or... Uh, we have many identities. <laughs> when Jerry was a teacher, he was Senor Dignan. He taught Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then when he retired, well, he was became... Uncle Jerry, before he retired, recording with Music Together, a family music program. Who are you now? 
<laughs> <laughs> well, I'm st still we're still sometimes Uncle Jerry and Aunt Denise yeah. for music together. Uh, in the time of COVID, we've been doing um, family sing-alongs with the music together. Uh, family over music over the internet. Yes, over the internet, right on Zoom. Mm -hmm. So that's a family, international family music program. Right. And mm -hmm. I had the great gift of being chosen to be one of the vocalists to record the songs on their collections. And it's really fun music and it's multicultural and multimodal and multi everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's for toddlers and their moms and dads and uh, and on up to the age of seven years old or so. So I'm one of the singers. There's a mommy voice and a daddy voice and a grandma Yvette and an uncle Jerry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So how, after, do, how do people ahead. access uh, that? Or is it something that is available for others to observe? Well, musictogether.com, if they want to learn about the organization, it's now in over 40 countries and uh, families sitting together in circles, having fun, giggling and wiggling and tickling and singing and dancing and making up things. And also um, on YouTube, I think if they type in Uncle Jerry music together, they'd see some of the concerts that we've done. Independent directors run their own centers and they hire their teachers and they get all of their classroom spaces. And so they would invite Denise and me to come and hold an event. It could be wherever the venue would be is the place they selected. And we come in and we used to sing in person, doing live concerts with families. Sometimes it'd be small groups of 20 or 30. And we've had up, up to 500 or 1,000 people at some of these gatherings. Wow. So it all depends. And we, we did them with Music Together centers from Ireland, to Australia. Taiwan was a big one. Taiwan, we went we to had two times. Big concerts there. Yes. Very, very fired up about music together in Taiwan. Yeah, they love it. Jerry did a, a Zoom concert just in the last four months with Australia, right. two with Japan. Mm -hmm. So this has opened up, the access of Zoom has opened up the whole world yeah. to us sitting in our living room and uh, singing with Australian families yeah, and people Japanese. on the other side of the planet. Yeah, <laughs> it's really crazy. The whole concept to me is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cool. it's Sunday morning there and Saturday evening here. And we're all just one big happy family singing together. Yeah. It's so stunning, really, Dick and Marsha, when you think about that reality now that we're living in, you know, I think it has tremendous um, potential for helping us to really see the the interwovenness of all of the many cultures on our planet. And it makes the planet feel like a town, you know, global village. It's truer and truer with the technology we have now. Right. When you did that Irish concert, did you pick up an accent or something that you... <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> That's pretty easy. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to, Dick. I don't know what it is you're referring to. We'll have to give away the secret that uh, you two 
have led some tours to Ireland, and we had the good fortune of joining you on one of those tours. Yeah, it was great to have you with us. Yeah, we've led, gosh, at least over a dozen, maybe 15 or so, yeah. musical, cultural, and some of them are like uh, spiritual pilgrimages as well. A little magic in there too. Oh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Magical, mystical. Yeah. What do we, a magical mystery. <laughs> magical, mystery, mystical tour of Ireland is what we would lead. And, you know, I would tell my stories from, from my Aunt Ellen, my grandmother's sister, who was the one sibling in that generation who never left Ireland. And so I met her when I was a young man in 1975. And I spent a number of weeks with her in her old traditional cottage, no running water. She cooked over the fire and real like stepping into um, time, a time tunnel, you know, and came out in a little cottage in the west of Ireland. And uh, she had great stories, made quite an impact on me. So she gave me a lot of stories and she said, no, you must, you must tell all the people in America the stories of old Ireland. Mm -hmm. So I said, I promise I will. And she said, you must tell the children. Mm -hmm. I, I will, Aunt Ellen. And so for years, I would, uh, St. Patrick's Day, no matter what we were studying, I'd say, no, today is the day we're having stories of old Ireland from my Aunt Ellen. With your Spanish students. With my Spanish right. students, yeah. <laughs> really cute. Well, that reminds me of the lightning tree. P.J. Curtis. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, yes. A great guy, a wonderful author, beautiful story, recommended to one and all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. P.J. Curtis, yeah. I think I've read it three times now. Oh, wow. It, it's stunning each time. Yeah, we, I love it. We recently um, did a reading well, Denise is, is on a poetry call. This is all women who, this was originally inspired by Peg Rubin's work. Peg Rubin would give us home play uh, between our sessions of um, mystery school. And so some of us says, oh, you know, to keep our discipline about doing it every day, how about if we get on a phone call and somebody reads the writing? And um, so, we are on our 11th year, recall, and we have done it every day for 11 years. Oh my goodness. Not everybody can make every session, but whoever can come. I had the element of water. I was choosing the readings uh, for that 10 day session and uh, found this segment, this piece in Lightning Tree about the holy water and the holy well yeah. and um, Oh my goodness, I thought this is perfect. It's got all this, the misty, rainy morning and the, the um, going to get the water on, was that, it was a solstice anyway. You had to go right before dawn to, to get the water right at the right healing moment. And uh, oh, I just, just luxuriated in, in reading it again. The ray of the sun had to catch the water as it came right. across a little spout, and then she would exactly <laughs> into yeah. the 
container that she had, and, and that would be the healing water for the year. It was a blue glass container. Uh, yeah. It had to be blue glass, yeah. Loved it. And this opens up the whole world of seeing forms and interacting with uh, a world that may be right beside us, and yet we can't see it with our eyes unless possibly we have the gift of uh, seeing that uh, was talked about in the book. Mm -hmm. In Ireland, we met your, you called him Uncle Joe, but I think he was a cousin or something. Joe would be a first cousin to my father, yeah. We met him at his house, I think, yeah. That's yeah. right. The bus pulled into his driveway, I think. <laughs> somewhere about, Here we are. Bantry or, somewhere around Bantry, was it? Or? Um, well, in Bandon is the Bandon. town. Bandon. Bandon. And he's not far from Bantry either, Marcia, so you're right on that. <laughs> Bantry would be, would be a bit an hour and a half west of Joe on the okay. west coast of County Cork. And, and Bandon is more inland. He came to the pub the next night, I believe, in Cork. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm sitting there listening, yeah. listening to the music. Yeah, Joe loves the old Irish songs. Uh, he he loves them like nobody else. You know, I always say I love to sing for Joe Quinn because he takes the songs really deep into his soul, and that's where he hears them from. Because he said, Jerry, I knew the people in them songs, in them old-time Irish songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did this happen? Go ahead. Uh -huh. Joe is 94 now, and he's moved into the town in Bandon. He has a nice place in a senior residence there. But he still walks himself to the shop every day and gets what he needs, and uh, he's doing really well, I'm happy to report. So, Denise, I, I wondered... I've been kind of thinking about us getting together today, and I, I wanted to ask, has your husband been the loving teddy bear ever since the first time you saw him? Well, you can answer honestly. I could go outside. <laughs> no, it was one of those um, kind of love at first sight, but we weren't, we were in high school, and I was... A couple years older than him so you know in high school it's it's not really cool to date a younger guy and but he was always a uh, very nice and a wonderful singer and so that kind of captured my heart and uh very much um you know a strong family and and so i wasn't sure about you know if this would ever really happened because of the age difference. But, you know, when you get in your 20s, <laughs> the age is not a big, big of a deal. So. And in your 70s, it, <laughs> nothing at all. It's better. <laughs> <laughs> it's better if there's a big difference. Is that <laughs> no, if your hubby is younger than you, it's better. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, we don't have that uh, luxury here. <laughs> I, I robbed the cradle with Marcia. And, uh, oh. <laughs> so you must have been singing, obviously, from what Denise said, Jerry. So this was 
something that you've done since the age of three, no doubt. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. We were in high school choir together, and um, we had many occasions. Uh, our choir was was in the play Brigadoon in high school, so we had a lot of time to hang out during rehearsals and. Uh, yeah. We hung choir out with, with, with the same group yeah. of friends and mm -hmm. went on choir trips together and did a lot of performances. We had a really great choir in high school, <clears throat> so it's a sweet memory for us. And that's how Denise and I first met, singing together. Actually, when uh, <laughs> it was um, in the fall, the beginning of the school year, and you know, the high schools have their homecoming events. So all the different school organizations created a float for the homecoming parade. And so Denise... We used to call her Grips or Griffin. She was holding a, a float meeting at her house. And everybody was in the choir went over there to make tissue flowers for the float. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was a couple of years younger than most of them. So my mom said I had to leave by nine. So uh, <laughs> she was picking me up at nine. So I was a sophomore. So I had to leave and Denise walked me to the door and said good night. And there was something about her you know it's one of those things that just really touched me i had that that little feeling like hmm i really like her you know <laughs> and uh that was the float meeting in 1969 1969 the autumn of 1969 wow. and we went from there it all started with tissue flowers <laughs> <laughs> Well, it started with choir, we could say, yeah, but tissue flowers, that's, yeah. That's, that is true. It started with singing together. Was this in Chicago? Oak Lawn was the suburb we grew up in. It's mm -hmm. a, if you cross the street, you're in Chicago, in the city proper. Mm -hmm. But it, so it's right there, part of the city world there, Chicago. So uh, I understand you've been a Spanish teacher of, what, junior high, isn't it, uh, for Many, many years? Yeah, I started out in high school and then I only for a couple of years and then I went to work in the city. I taught ESL classes to adults in the Hispanic neighborhood in the city. It was actually a, a parish called St. Ludmilla, a good, uh, I think she was a Czech saint. Yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah, a friend of mine who I met in Irish dancing actually. <laughs> She was a teacher at St. Ludmilla, where it was mainly a Mexican community. And um, my minor in college was English as a second language. So when I was talking to my friend in the Irish dance class, she said, oh, well, our pastor, Father Grace, who's he's been wanting someone to start ESL classes in the parish. And at the time, I was between jobs. And so I said, I'd love to do that. So it was sponsored by City Colleges of Chicago, and I opened up four different classes. And the first night, I, I made announcements at all the masses in Spanish that I would be starting the classes. So the first night's class, I had about 150 people show up. So I always think of that and tell that story whenever I hear someone say, oh, they don't want to learn English, you know, and uh, it couldn't be further from the truth, you know. So I had 150 people, I didn't know what to do. And they said, well, how about you divide us in two different groups? I said, okay, we'll do that. So 
So half of us will come back tomorrow night. Sounds good. <laughs> so I taught ESL for, I don't know, a couple of years. And then I was invited by the principal of the school to become uh, the fourth grade teacher in the school. And so I thought, me teach little kids? I don't know about this. And it turned out I loved it. I absolutely loved teaching fourth graders. So those kids were almost all bilingual, a few only English speaking, a few only Spanish speaking. But we had great, great times at St. Lamilla's. Didn't you have about 40 kids in your class? Oh, yeah. We'd have about 40 big kids class. in class. So, uh, that was cons is still considered big nowadays to have 40 kids in your class. When I was a kid, there was 56 in our class, you know, Catholics crawling out the woodwork <laughs> and uh, all the good Catholic parents tried to keep their kids in Catholic school. So we had huge classrooms. But yeah, having 40 kids and being the teacher in a room with 40 kids was uh, was enough. I often thought, I don't know how our teachers did it with 56 kids in a room. Mm -hmm. But back then, we pretty much just sat in straight rows and kept our mouths shut at least <laughs> you know there was a lot of enforcing of that sort of thing yeah. rumors are yeah. very effective <laughs> yeah get out the stick yeah. so but, mm -hmm. go ahead it's fine no i i know uh you know there's a lot of horror stories about the old nuns and i saw a couple of horrifying things but luckily i had wonderful teachers I really loved my teachers as a kid, so I was very fortunate. Did you have to audition for the symphony choir? Did you call oh, it yeah. a choir? Uh, Chicago Symphony Chorus. Chorus uh -huh. Yeah, yes, I did audition, and uh, I had a wonderful voice teacher at DePaul, the community music division of DePaul, named Rich Gersten, and he was a great advocate for me. So he said, I think you should be auditioning at the various choruses at downtown. Hmm. So I auditioned for the Grant Park Chorus, and uh, I got offered a position as a, so, a, yeah. a fill-in kind of position. I never got called. And then I, I, I lost my mind and thought I'd audition at the, the Lyric Opera Chorus. <laughs> and I did, you know, and <laughs> I, I got a, hmm out of the maestro he gave me the audition and i talked to a friend who was very involved in the classical music scene in chicago and she said you got a hmm out of palumbo i said yeah she said that's fantastic he never says or does anything and then i felt very proud of my hmm that I got from the maestro but then i also auditioned for a Chicago Symphony Chorus and they offered me a spot. So it was a great year. I was in it for seven years. Uh, great experience. We traveled to um, Berlin the first year. Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall another year. Yeah. A stunning, a stunning experiences. Yeah. I always felt um, out of my element in the Symphony Chorus. I didn't have much training in the classical music at all. I really took piano lessons as a kid for a few years. That's really all the music theory I knew. Mm -hmm. And here all these many people in the chorus were 
conducting their own choruses or their own orchestras. You know, they had PhDs in music and conducting and all this. So I was a little bit timid, intimidated, but, um, you know, I'd say, well, they thought I was vocally strong enough to be in the group, so I'll stick with it. But it was a great experience of really stretching me and paying attention and just trying to learn what I could and do the right thing. So it was a really quite a, um, a great opportunity that I really appreciate having had. But my heart and soul weren't in it. I was always kind of fearful there. And I thought somebody else out there in the world is just impassioned about classical music. And I'm taking a spot that they could have. So I bowed out of it after the seven years. And then hopefully somebody who was totally in love with classical music got the spot. Well, there was another choir that you were or may still be a part of something about a gospel choir. Yes, oh. yeah. I uh, fell in love with black gospel music as a sophomore at the University of Illinois in Champaign, Urbana. Oh. And the local gospel choirs were having an event at the Cranert Center for the Performing Arts on campus. And so I saw the signs up around campus and said, well, that sounds interesting. I'm always looking for something different to do, you know. And so I went back to my dorm. Hey, who wants to go to a gospel choir? Get lost, Dignan. Nobody wanted to go to a gospel choir concert. So uh, I said, fine, I'll go myself. So I went down and I just was in awe of the, the pageantry. Oh my God, it was amazing. There was, I don't know, maybe 250 people in the choir. They all had on wonderful, bright colored outfits and um, they came out on stage and they're all just kind of talking to each other on the risers. And I thought, well, this isn't appropriate concert <laughs> uh, protocol. They shouldn't be talking to each other. And, you know, the way I was trained in our high school choir, you get out there and you just look at, straight ahead and no talking and all very formal. And then the conductor came out and the music started and magically all this crowd of people on stage started swaying together back and forth. Mm -hmm. And right there, my mouth dropped and I was wowed. And then they opened their mouths and sang. I was just bowled over and I've been in love with gospel music ever since. And that Professor Maddie Moss Clark from Detroit was the guest director that day. And she had the entire audience in the palm of her hand that whole time. I was stunned. And from that point on, I started buying gospel music albums mm -hmm. and uh, wondering how I could get in a gospel choir myself. And so when I was working in the city at St. Lud Mill as a friend on the faculty said, you like gospel music, right? I said, yeah. Well, I know a choir that's looking for members. I said, whoa. So I checked it out at the, interestingly, it was at Holy Family Parish in the city, just a mile from downtown. And that uh, was the parish of my ancestors in Chicago. My grandfather had been an altar boy there and all this. So it was like running, coming full circle now, years and years later. It was 1982. And he had been there in the, in the at the turn of the century, you know. So, um, I came home to Holy Family 
and Professor Sam Parker in the Gospel Choir welcomed me with open arms and open heart and I learned so much and had many, many magical moments as a part of the um, Gospel Choir at Hovey Family, for sure. And Denise was in it for a couple of years too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I was gonna ask Denise, uh, who was the first contact with Gene Houston? Was it you, Denise, or uh, how did you all you get- You know me. Yeah, so tell us how that happened. Well, I um, was doing volunteer work with a suicide. It was called Samaritans at the time. And um, Jean was very, very generous with the black community. Um, all the time she would she would do special lectures. And so the, the woman who, runs, who ran Samaritans uh, around the University of Chicago, Said, anybody want to go see Jean Houston? She's a wonderful uh, evocateur of of consciousness, and so I said, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so I went to see Jean Houston, and that first exposure to Jean, I really didn't understand half of what she was saying, <laughs> but I knew I had to find out what she, what she was saying, and so she would make a, a yearly trip to Chicago. She'd spend a week here with us in Chicago. And I went to, boy, I don't know, four or five uh, Chicago weeks with Jean and Peggy. And at that point, I just said, I need this, like, to really change my consciousness. I have to get to mystery school. So at that time, mystery school was nine weekends out of the year and a group of us from Chicago drove out there. We left on Thursday night, got there Friday afternoon and uh, what is it? 800 miles, 800 yeah. mile drive. You were on the there. East coast at that time. The mm -hmm. East coast yes, was in New York. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where it all began <laughs> with, with when, our work with Gene. Yeah. When, when did you, decided to take Jerry with you? Well, I kind of had a feeling that our marriage would get into trouble if I was the only one going. <laughs> <laughs> so our dance instructor, Emmy Devine, uh, or Emily Devine, she uses both names at times, she was taking a sabbatical. And so uh, I knew Jerry, with all of his studies in international folk dancing, which he, he would use in his, the classroom, uh, had enough material to cover those three months that Emmy would be on sabbatical. So uh, they said, okay, you know, we don't have anybody else. We'll give this guy a try. They, they had only met him once. And uh, so I think when Emmy knew... <laughs> She had a possible replacement. She had her own work she wanted to do and uh, said, okay, it's all yours. So that's when we added more singing and the dancing because uh, we could see the value of the singing together as a group. It just really seemed to help the group because we did such deep work at mystery school that it helped to kind of feel close to everybody. Um, before we even knew each other, 
we sang together and then we had this feeling of togetherness at least that's how i see the magic of of singing uh mystery school and we could sing you know whatever the topic was that weekend we'd gather songs together and um it was it was quite a growth experience anything from broadway musicals to uh, buddhist chanting yeah you know to irish folk songs whatever worked in to the material that Jean and Peggy had focused on for that weekend. We try and bring singing experiences and movement and dance experiences for the community with the intention of helping the work and the material that Jean and Peggy <clears throat> gave to us for us to internalize it in a deeper way through the music and dance. So uh, it, we were both feel so fortunate that we were given that opportunity uh, we love our lives being used that way you know well by the time marcia and i came to mystery school you all had uh, a well-honed uh, system almost of how it got woven into facets of the whole weekend and uh, i i will attest to what you said denise that it, it just were such a meaningful part of the fabric of the uh, of the the whole weekend and the whole year and then the next year and then and then along came social artistry and and you were called on again to uh, help in, in a similar way with that and and now you all are doing what's it called the evolutionary yeah evolutionary song circle, song circle. Yeah. it's 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 based on the evolutionary journey seminars that peggy rubin has worked on and created mm -hmm. and so we just kind of went with that title because it was a kind of an extension during COVID times for people who had worked with peg and um, familiar with her work mm -hmm. It's an open invitation, but um, it's it's about um, taking the songs into a deep space with a transformative intention and building our compassion, our sense of connectivity with intention to impact our world in some way, not only the outside world, but your own inner personal evolution as well. And it's a time to just reconnect with your fellow travelers on this spiritual journey that we've been on. And in the time of COVID, we really, really needed a way to connect with one another that wasn't just uh, hoping that we will someday sing together again. The miracle of Zoom right. has saved us. <laughs> uh, what year did you write the song Loving Kindness? Do you recall? I think it'd be around 2003. Yeah, we recorded it in 2004. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was driving to school one morning and uh, that song kind of came through in the car, you know, and I just tried to keep it in my head till I could get it recorded so I wouldn't forget it. Wasn't it based on a, a real event in your life? Well, yeah, a few. <laughs> there, a few. Yeah, it, it was based on moments when I experienced loving kindness from 
loved ones in my life, uh, my grandmother, a dear friend of ours who was a, a cook in the north woods of Wisconsin where we used to work at a camp there. She's been, uh, she, I, I call her the, um, oh God, the Bodhisattva of kitchens. <laughs> and my grandmother was my Irish Bodhisattva. So just, and then there was a stranger, a man who, in in Morocco, who gave me his his not a coat but the robe that the Moroccans uh, wore. Uh, I was very sick and I was cold and I was on a bus and it was in the middle of the night and I was just trembling and he saw me and took heart and compassionately stood up and covered me with his robe and um, I never forgot that act of kindness. You know, finally I was warm. So it was those moments where people really touched me, my neighbors across the street singing with them in their yard, you know, or watching the sunset on the shore of northern Spain near, near San Sebastián with friends that uh, I incorporated into that song. So whenever we do it, I invite people to think of moments and those loved ones who extended their loving kindness to them. You know, so it's a tribute and a gratitude song for all those beautiful people in our lives. Loving kindness, I'll remember through the storm. Cold like a fire's glowing embers, loving kindness warms my soul. The warmth of the stranger's cold. In a dark and distant land The soft, tender touch Of a grandmother's loving hand Song, song by the neighbor's fireside Circle of friends sit and watch changing tide loving kindness I'll remember through the storm and through the cold like a fire's glowing embers loving kindness warms my Long walk side by side Along the quiet road The cup of tea in the night The tales that were told The open arms of welcome And the long embrace 
understanding in your eyes, the comfort in your face, loving kindness I'll remember through the storm and through the cold, like a fire's glowing embers, loving kindness warms my guys thank you hope so when did your uh when did your songwriting start or uh, i'm sure you're still inspired you still have a muse that amuses you sometimes oh yeah definitely david darling i think would it be david probably that helped yeah well music we, for people organization yeah we we met ken gilmartin at mystery school and Ken's been a great guide and teacher musically for me. And he's the co-founder of Music Together, which oh. we talked about earlier. Right. And then Ken said, are you familiar with music for people? And Ken was on the board of that. And that was co-founded by Maverick cellist, David Darling, and his friend, fellow musician, Bonnie Insel. And that organization was devoted to self-expression through improvisational music. So I said, well, what is this? Well, Denise and I went to their summer workshop in Keene, Keene New, State. At Keene State College in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been the same since, you know. <laughs> I mean, David just shifted our paradigm and to hear the world as music and its rhythms and everything. And there yes. are no wrong notes. You can't do it wrong. Right, um, no wrong notes. So just, it's such a wonderful set of principles that he taught, and he was a great, great teacher. 
as well as musician, just astounding. And all the music we created at the, the week-long, it's called AOI, the Art of Improvisation. It's every summer, and they have events going throughout each year. But everything is improvised. Not one note of music do you see. It's just in the moment. You know, you walk into the room for a session, and David will have set up the chairs in pairs or in triads or in foursomes and you just pick a chair and whoever you're with that's the person you're going to make music with uh, they may play a drum an electric guitar an oboe and you're just voice you know you have no idea what's going to happen but it was one moment of wow after another so i think david really opened me up to the possibility of allowing the muse to play you, he would say. It's not that you're playing, but allow the muse to play you. And then I could, I, it really opened up my understanding that so many things could become a song, you know. And I began to experiment with that possibility that I could write a song. I never, ever imagined I could. Mm -hmm. It just didn't occur to me, mm -hmm. you know. Speaking of muse, muses miss your muse uh how do you contact your muse uh, we're singer songwriters too and sometimes the muse is right there and then sometimes takes a long vacation well i think we're inspired <clears throat> by poetry a lot yeah i am with this poetry group now for 11 years and uh we've covered everything from shakespeare to oh golly Mary Oliver is a big favorite, but um, sometimes a poem, I think there was a, a Mary Oliver one, and I said, Jerry, this would be a song that you would want to sing. Mm. And within oh, a couple hours, he had uh, figured out a, a melody for it, and it was great. <laughs> so we, we read a lot of poetry. How do you approach your songwriting? Well, I think the music leads me often enough as far as to know what to do musically if there's a poem. And then I look for patterns in the poem and sometimes I shift things around so it fits more sweetly into a song that's accessible for people to sing. I'm just looking at this song that we sang last night in our song circle. and It's based on poetry by Albert Camus, the French philosopher. In the midst of hate, I found there was within me an invincible love. In the midst of tears, I found there was within me an invincible smile. In the midst of chaos, I found there was within me an invincible calm. Would you like me to sing a little bit? Of oh, please. That? Okay. <laughs> I think it'll work out all right. I... In the midst of hate, I found there was within me an invincible love. In the midst of tears, I found there was within me an invincible smile. In the midst of chaos, I found there was within me an invincible calm. I realized through it all, I realized through it all, I realized through it all, 
I realize through it all that in the midst of winter I found there was within me an invincible summer. In the midst of winter I found there was within me an invincible summer. And that makes me happy that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, Oh, that makes me happy that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, there's something stronger within me and better. There's something better within me. There's something pushing within me. Pushing right back. There's something stronger within me. Yeah, there's something better within me Oh, there's something pushing within me Pushing right back Pushing right back Pushing right back So, um, that song gave me lyrics, the poem gave me lyrics and I hope it's okay with uh, philosopher Camus that I <laughs> played with a little bit. But the music uh, does lead me into knowing where to go. I just start fiddling with chords and see what bubbles up and let the muse create, you know. Beautiful. It's called Something Within Me. Something Within Me. And we are very attuned to the consciousness changing that's evolving and going on. And when we find something that really taps into what people uh, could, could use to hear at that moment, mm -hmm. that I think is inspiring too, mm -hmm. because we do have, uh, you know, these weekly song circles and we're, um, we're giving our groups new material. <laughs> it inspires just to have someone that you're writing for. I found that, you know, Peggy Rubin has been so encouraging in endless ways. <clears throat> but um, working with Peg, we would fly out to Ashland, Oregon and a number of times a year. And entering her workshops was always an invitation for us to create some new material. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have that impetus. It gives you yeah. purpose to allow that inner creator to get busy, you know. So I'm not always as motivated from within as I wish I would be. <laughs> but when it's time to engage with the community for the this deep purpose, uh, it's really sweet to see what comes from that. Well, as we're wrapping up, um, Jerry and Denise Dignan up in the Chicago area, you spoke of this shift in consciousness. Is there some words you could uh, use to talk about that a little bit more about what you're seeing or hearing or feeling in that area? Well, just the whole experience of the, the coronavirus and everybody being sort of locked down in place. I think it really gave people a chance, an opportunity to go deep within themselves. And so I think that has in a lot of ways, been an invitation for people to take the time needed to 
plumb their own depths. And I see people have shifted in their priorities since the pandemic. And then the verdict yesterday about how so many of us have not really been aware of the life of African-Americans in this, in this country. And I think that is a shift of consciousness that's been just slowly sort of creeping and this kind of really propelled it for people to really look to see what's been really happening. And uh, I sure hope so. Yeah, we're, we're not done by any means, but I think a lot of people's eyes have been opened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope that's true. Wonderful to share that. Thank you. Uh, any last word, Mr. Jerry Dignan? Well, regarding shifting of consciousness, I feel, and this has been my experience, that um, one's engagement in musical expression uh, is a way to feel the presence of something larger than ourselves. You know, it's it's a way that I calm myself uh, if my mind is busy or I'm fretting about something or other. I'll sit at the piano often and um, connect with that something larger than myself, which feels like it's the great advocate, you know, it's for us. And so this is why I like to be able to facilitate moments for people in which they can express themselves musically, to feel connectivity to others in the room they're with or on a Zoom screen Uh, and also for them to know the experience of connecting to that larger friend that is helpful. It's within each of us to have access to that beautiful arms of embrace reaching and waiting for you, you know, through the music. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Marcia, for being here as a partner today. And friends, remember, wherever you are, that's your world. So please leave your world a cleaner, uh, more peaceful and more loving than you found it because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.